Hello there. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Atomic Skull Podcast. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. I appreciate you taking a little time out of your day to listen to me talk. I may have overdone it a little last night. I had a good friend come over, and usually when we hang out, we tend to go pretty hard in the paint anyway. But last night's topic of conversation was exes. So right when she walked through the door, my liver started screaming at me. And last episode, I promised myself that I would spend the weekend trying to take it easy and relax. Cut to me at 10.30 p.m. drinking lemon vodka and 7-Up by the half gallon, holding back tears and shampooing my carpets. And that's not a euphemism for anything dirty. By the way, I was actually shampooing the carpet. But if your brain went to that place and you giggled, I do appreciate the enthusiasm. Now, there is a rumor going around that I may have had to redo an entire room because I was drunk and singing and I didn't realize that the water reservoir and the shampooer was empty. That is not true. That is patently untrue. And I want to deny that rumor right now. It was only about three quarters of the room before I, I ended up catching it. So everything is everything is fine. Eventually, I did get the carpets done and I'm looking at them as I'm talking to you here, and I think I made them worse. <laughs> There's no such thing as mistakes, it's just happy accidents. So I, I did end up watching some old TV. That promise wasn't bullshit. I started with some OG Law and & Order, and after eight or nine episodes, I kind of got tired of it and I wanted to do something different. So I switched to Law & Order SVU. There isn't a Law & Order that I don't love. I have to be really careful not to go into John Mulaney's bit about SVU because it is utter perfection. But I will say that SVU has some pretty graphic descriptions of extreme sexual violence. How do they make that show so fucking sexy? They do not get enough credit for the Barnum and Bailey grade tightrope walking. They do every episode between trauma-inducing sodomy and boner-inducing sodomy. Speaking as a straight man, I'm a relatively straight man, I don't know, get Chris Evans in here, there might be a situation. My love for America's ass is one of the many things I have in common with Lizzo, you'd be surprised. But speaking as a relatively straight man, SVU, if you've watched the show, is filled to the brim with daddies. And let's break it down. So you've got Elliot Stabler, He's Alpha Daddy, played by Chris Maloney. If you guys haven't seen the picture of that man leaning up against the post in between takes on set, I will be putting it up on the Instagram. So help yourself to some cake, courtesy of uh, Matthew Kidson. Boy, I'm really going all in with men's asses right up front today. I want to take this opportunity to remind everyone, including myself, that I am a married man to a woman, and I am very butch. I can open a jar of pickles like a motherfucker. All right, back to the daddies. Detective John Munch, played by Richard Belzer. He is the intellectual, mysterious daddy. And yes, the sunglasses stay on during sex. You got iced tea. Need I say more? 
anyone would want to be part of his body count. Now, that's a joke for the music nerds out there at no extra charge. You're making some bread just by listening to this podcast today. So next is Rafael Barba. He's the asshole daddy. He's the ADA that clearly never skips chess day. After that, you've got Detective Brian Cassidy, who is the drunk Irish daddy that will knock you around a little bit now and ask for consent later. And before you get offended, I know a few people out there who would pay good money for that. Detective Cassidy is played by Dean Winters, who I definitely prefer as Ryan O'Reilly in Oz, but he also is pretty good in SVU. We've got Detective Nick Amaro, who is the poppy that will make you sloppy. I'm so sorry. I'm very this is going to be a rough one man i'm ashamed of myself already but i do stand behind that you got ada carisi who is the fixer upper daddy now all you thirsties out there who see a total dumpster fire of a guy and think i can change him this is an episode of honesty you know who you are and god bless you this guy's for you and then last but not least you've got don cragen He's Captain Daddy. Aunties and grandmas watch the show too, you guys. Even my beautiful wife, Mrs. What's-Her-Name. Sometimes she enjoys much, 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 much older fellas. And if you're saying to yourself, Jesus Christ, she has horrible taste in men, I couldn't agree with you more. All right, enough daddy talk. Let's move on. Something else I got to watch was one of my all-time favorite comedies, The Golden Girls. It was the first time I've watched the show since Betty White died. R.I.P., of course. Watching the show knowing all four cast members have passed was actually kind of sad for me. I didn't expect that to come up. I kind of grew up with the show. I've seen every episode, shit man, probably a dozen times. I absolutely love the show. But after like an episode or two, I I started laughing again. The most interesting part was I watched the show on the Hallmark Channel. The commercials definitely played to their target audience. And I started writing the commercials down as I saw them because I wanted to go over them. So these are the commercials that I saw on the Hallmark Channel while several episodes of The Golden Girls were playing. And this is in order, okay? We start with a commercial for tampons. Fine. That led in to a commercial that was for a sweepstakes where the winner gets an all-expenses-paid trip to Tuscany for you and your two best friends. After that was a commercial for a feminine odor spray created by an OBGYN. That was followed by yet another commercial for tampons. Ladies, rest easy knowing that the Hallmark Channel is definitely concerned about the health and welfare of your bloomin' onion so you don't have to be. After that was a preview for a Hallmark original movie about opposing tournament tennis players who fall for each other called Game Set Love, which sounds like a total winner. Let me know if you want me to watch this movie and review it next week, because I will absolutely do that. You can email me at atomicskullpodcast at gmail.com. After that was, of course, a commercial for mesothelioma. Whenever somebody tells me that they wish things were just like their childhood, I remind them that mesothelioma commercials still exist. They're like candy corn. They are going to be around forever. 
all of those mesothelioma commercials were made in like 1978 and they are never going to change. So I saw one of them. That was followed by not one, but two commercials in a row for cat food. I watched at least half a dozen episodes of The Golden Girls and watching the commercials, I started noticing that the men who were in the ads were either breathtakingly stupid or a nearly shirtless hunk. John Cena showed up hawking scented trash bags for a car payment or two. He was wearing the single tightest shirt I have ever seen on anyone. The buttons on that man's polo shirt were hanging on like they were ready for a fucking hurricane. And I had no problem with any of that. I loved it. I have zero issues with men being objectified. And let me explain this. I need to warn you that what I'm about to say is crude. It might register as morally ambiguous, to say the least. But I've always had this idea floating around in my head that we shouldn't necessarily objectify women less. We should start objectifying men more. Equality and objectification. Hear me out. One of two things will happen. The best case scenario is that men will realize how much being objectified can suck ass and might develop a little empathy or understanding about it. Worst case scenario, more hot dudes in tight shirts. Where's the downside? All right, let's move on to House of Dragons. This is something I am super excited to talk about. The first episode premiered just this last week. House of Dragons is a Game of Thrones prequel that takes place in the same universe. I am definitely a little bit worried about it. I know that HBO had filmed some other show a couple of years back that was a whole pilot that cost millions of dollars that was also in the Game of Thrones universe that they completely fucking scrapped. Apparently that is just what Warner Brothers is going to do. They're going to film things that nobody can watch and create a giant money pit. Again, I am not an economist, but I feel like that is a very bad business model. Warner Brothers, you are overthinking it. Just get Jason Momoa into a studio. It doesn't matter if you dress him up as a Dothraki. It doesn't matter if you dress him up as fucking Aquaman. Get him into a studio, take his goddamn shirt off, and pour water on the man. You are sitting on a giant money train that you are refusing to let leave the station. All right, back to House of Dragons. House of Dragons has a very, very big mountain to climb. Game of Thrones, which I did like. Game of Thrones, it's like drinking tequila. You remember having good times at some point, but the last time you remember it being around, it was definitely not a good experience. And all you can remember is that you had a really shitty taste in your mouth and you were very unhappy on a Sunday. Now here comes House of Dragons, like a warm bottle of Cuervo, and immediately you're just thinking, Nope. This this whole thing did not go well for me last time. Is it even worth it? Not only does this show have to be good to stand up on its own, but it has to apologize for the epic bedshitting that Game of Thrones did in its last season. Plus, it's also a prequel. And like we talked about last week, that makes the mountain even more steep. But... 
they fucking pulled it off. It was a damn good episode. I can't believe it. The first great idea that they had was making it 175 years before the events of Game of Thrones. So even though it's a prequel, these are all new characters and anything can happen. It's so long ago, we don't even know where it's going to end up. Very smart. It had the Game of Thrones vibe to it, the blood and the guts, the difficult scenes to watch, all the sexuals were there. Matt Smith, who is my beloved 11th Doctor from Doctor Who, is the one who plays that asshole Targaryen in the show. He has been complaining in the press that there were too many sex scenes. Between Game of Thrones and House of Dragons, I feel like there's so many cast members who were complaining about one thing or another on the show. Pretty much the entire cast complained about the last season. There's footage on YouTube that you can find of the whole ass fucking cast during the first table read of the series finale, and they all look pissed. My favorite one is Ian McShane from Deadwood, who was in like two episodes of season six, uh, said the show was basically just tits and dragons, which as soon as I heard that, I started laughing so hard I almost broke my fucking jaw. Some of you guys probably heard me from wherever you happen to be at the time, and for after that moment, I, I just called the show Tits and Dragons. House of Dragons was so good, they immediately ordered a second season, so I guess I'm looking forward to watching it. Dos tequilas, por favor. Let's make our way to best and worst of the week. Best of the week, this is great, is Ozzy Osbourne. If you don't know who Ozzy is, he was the singer for Black Sabbath, one of the most metal bands of all time. He got kicked out for being too drunk, and he had a solo career, and almost got himself kicked out of his own solo career somehow for doing too much drugs. He ended up going on a reality show with his whole family. I love his singing career. I love Black Sabbath. I loved the Osbournes. I'm one of the few people that thinks that everything he does is great. He doesn't take himself that seriously, and that's wonderful. So drugs. Oh, man, Ozzy and drugs. Ozzy did an interview with, I think, Classic Rock Magazine. Are magazines even a thing anymore? He said that he gave up acid in the 70s after taking 10 tabs, which anyone who has ever done acid... 10 tabs is a, that is a, that is a, that is a mighty amount of tabs. He took 10 tabs of acid. He went to a field and spent an hour talking to a horse. At the end of the hour long conversation, Ozzy said the horse turned around and told him to fuck off. Look, I applaud anyone who gives up something that they believe isn't good for them. That's hard to do. Massive respect for everyone who is listening that has to battle those demons every day. Rough stuff. Here is my question. How could that possibly be the end of your acid experience? Holy shit, man. I have dropped acid plenty of times and I have had a blast. If I was on acid and a horse told me to fuck off, I would never tell any other story again for the rest of my fucking life. Now the worst of the week, and this is gonna take a weird turn for those of you who know me. Dodge is discontinuing the Challenger and the Charger in 2023. And I have a 
personal stake in this. So this is, I've got a story time for you here. Unfortunately, there are no horses involved in this story. I have never been a car guy, right? I do not give two shits about cars. I understand people who give shits about cars. I don't care. I like something that gets me from point A to point B with loud music, smooth ride. That is all I care about. However, when I played Grand Theft Auto V for the first time, and Grand Theft Auto V is awesome. It is the first GTA that I ever played. And I got to like soup up cars and drive around and run over hookers and stuff. I mean, you know, you've probably played the game. It's a really great game. I souped up cars and even driving them in the video game, I started kind of understanding the whole thing with cars. I kind of got it. And then when I started caring a little bit about cars, went to California with Mrs. What's-Her-Name to see some of my family up there. We flew into SFO and we went to a rental car place where we had a reservation. I flirted with the lady behind the counter a little bit. She was getting ready to leave for the day. We were her last customers, making her laugh. She felt really, really good because I think she said it was her Friday. I think it was a Friday. And she said, you know what? I'm going to give you guys an upgrade. She just said, your your car is in spot, you know, 14 or whatever. We go to spot 14 and there is a black Dodge Challenger. I look at this motherfucking beauty of a car and I instantly fall in love. I have never had this experience in my life and I'm actually kind of pissed that I care so much because this is a very expensive thing to care about. I complain that I got a record player because I've spent so much fucking money on records. That ain't shit compared to this. So I got in this car. I turned on the classic rock station and played some of the most bland rock music that anyone has ever heard. And I jammed down the fucking freeway in this gorgeous car. And I loved it. It immediately turned into the first car that I actually had to have by name to the point where 10 minutes being in this car and I looked at Mrs. What's-Her-Name and I said, I have to have this car. I have to get this car. And since then, which this was maybe, you know, a year or two ago, I've started trying to plan on getting a Charger or a Challenger. I really, really wanted one. And I plan on getting one in a couple of years. And now I hear that they are discontinuing the car. Oh my God, help me out. I am dying here. So that is a total bummer. I am gonna get over it. It's just a fucking car. Sorry guys, sorry dudes, sorry people who care about cars. It's just a fucking car. But you know, I was bummed about it for a hot second. All right, you guys, it is time to get to part three of the whole musical origin story. And you know what Randy Meek says about trilogies? In the third one, all bets are off. So let's fucking go. I left home, Northern California, moving to a small town in Arizona. And that's kind of where we left last week. At this point, it was mainly rock music, pop 
pop and billboard chart stuff, things that you might hear on the radio, things that you might see on whatever was left of MTV. And I did start dabbling in rap music a little bit more. I was talking before about listening to it in high school to piss off my terrified white family, but it was it was just putting my toe in the water at best. I was listening to some Beastie Boys, a little bit of Dr. Dre, some Naughty by Nature, Salt and Peppa, the Fugees. LL Cool J snuck in there a little bit, if I remember correctly. The thing is, with rap music at that time, those motherfuckers were getting shot. And I was a kid, that was scary. Biggie and Tupac both died. I knew a couple of each of their songs, but when when people started dying, it sort of scared me away. There was plenty of music that made me want to kill myself, but no music that made me want to kill other people. Plus, right after, uh, right after Biggie died, Puff Daddy, Diddy, Puff, Puffer Daddy, whatever it is, he was fucking everywhere. And I'm just not a Diddy fan. He is a super talented producer. I, he, he's great, but I am just, he was, he was everywhere. He was like fucking kale. Every single place you look, every single place you went, there he fucking was. And I was tired of him really quick. I do like bad boy for life. That's a bop. But otherwise, I'm, I'm just not a fucking fan. So I ended up going back to rock music, which is where I felt the most comfortable. Kind of shame on me, but also I was just a kid, so I'm going to forgive myself for that one thing. Meanwhile, right after high school, when I was working at McDonald's back home before I left, I met a dude over there, I love you, Uncle P, that was really into rap music and Blink-182, which is kind of like being into waffles and mustard. They're both delicious, but I don't know that they belong anywhere near each other. But he turned me on to Ludacris. He turned me on to more Dr. Dre, more Biggie. He turned me on to Snoop, Jay-Z, Outkast, uh, Wu-Tang, The Bees, Afro Man. Shout out for Cult 45. That is one of my favorite fucking songs to sing all the time, always. And then right around then is when Eminem blew the fuck up. And that was awesome. That kind of gave radio and TV and just like average music fans license to to, to let rap like solidify its place in the mainstream. I really feel like for all the work that West Coast and East Coast did in the 90s, I really feel like Eminem showing up, the white kid showing up, is really when it became okay for rap to be mainstream, which is kind of a bummer, but at least it got there. Like the fact that it got there for me is the most important part. So when I started listening to all of those artists that my friend got me into, I did with rap what I was doing with rock music. I would surf on Lycos, which if you understand that reference, I'm sorry for the liver spots that have probably burst on your hands. I would find out who the big OGs with rap music are. I wanted the pioneers. I ran across Grandmaster Flash, The Furious Five, The Treacherous Three, Houdini, Curtis Blow, Africa Mabata, Slick Rick and Dougie Fresh, uh, Digital Underground, Shock G, Run DMC, which was great because I had already loved Aerosmith and Run DMC and Aerosmith did Walk This Way, which was awesome. And then my boys from the Sugar Hill Gang, let me give a 
big shout out to Rapper's Delight, which is 14 minutes of the freshest old school heat you will ever fucking hear. It is not a long 14 minutes. It is amazing how fast that 14 minutes goes by because there are nine verses, nine long, awesome, kick-ass fucking verses. Rapper's Delight was the first rap song back in 79, 78, 79 to chart and reach mainstream audiences. It is my favorite rap song. It is one of my favorite songs of all time. Fuck, I love that song. And it was right when the iPod came out too. So instead of burning books worth of CDs, I had all of this music in my pocket, which was fan-fucking-tastic. Anyone who says they don't love technology is an asshole. And that is where I moved to this small, kind of racist town in Arizona, armed with music no one else was really listening to. And I love that part. Where I lived, where this town was, it, it was so small that it had one of everything. It just had one of everything one dry cleaner, one laundromat, one movie theater, and there was one music store that was called Hastings. And it was epic when I walked in. There, it was like four different stores in one. So on one side, you had books, new and used. You had all the latest magazines. In the middle, you had CDs, you had video games, you had like novelty toys, like, you know, the kind of, they had, you know, action figures, but like adult action figures and that, you know, just a bunch of stuff, kind of like you'd see in Spencer's. I don't know if even that's a, but like, kind of like you'd see there. And then on the, the other side, they would have movies, used and new movies that you could buy and they would have movies that you could rent. It was like my insides exploded all over that store and I had to get a job there. I had to. So that's what I did. And I think on like my third day, I walked up to the manager of the music department, who was a very nice young lady, uh, loved her to death. I introduced myself. I pointed at her and I said, I want your job, which might sound as I'm telling the story like ambitious and, you know, like a go get them kind of thing. But when I look back on it, I feel like an asshole saying that. But when I said it, she seemed so relieved. She told me she hated the job. She said, I don't even really care about music. What a waste. So she got me trained. And in, you know, a few months, I had the job, which was fucking awesome. And then I became a manager of a music store. Wow. Right after I got the job, there was an Elton John Billy Joel concert in uh, one of the big cities that was right near us. And the doctor in town, there was one eye doctor in this town. He had tickets to the uh, Elton John Billy Joel show. He couldn't go for some rich doctor reason. And he gave them to the girl friend that I had. He gave them to her mom who worked at the eye doctor place. As it turns out, the mom and the dad couldn't go because they were going to another show. It may have been Marshall Tucker. I don't remember what it was, but they already had tickets to another show. So uh, the girlfriend's mom and dad gave us free Elton John Billy Joel tickets and paid for a room in the hotel for us to stay. I went to this show. 
I knew some Elton John. I knew some Billy Joel. It was one of the most incredible shows I have ever seen in my life. Three hours, 10 minutes, nonstop, no breaks. Elton and Billy come out together and play something, play each of their songs by themselves. The band shows up for a song or two. Both bands show up for a song or two. And then Billy does a full set. Elton does a full set. And then everyone and their freaking mom comes on stage at the very end and just jams out on all the biggest hits. I was floored. I loved it. The third song they played was Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me by Elton John. Literally wept. I am not afraid to tell you that I cried because it was so moving. It was such a wonderful performance. And I, I, I started getting into Billy after the show. Obviously, I knew Billy. I started getting, him, getting into him a little bit more. I got deep into Elton John. And I hope someone isolates that one particular sentence I just said and has a little fun with it. Elton is an incredible songwriter. Elton John and Bernie Toppin, his songwriting partner, they are maybe the best songwriting duo of all time. Elton is an incredible piano player, but he also has that flamboyance and that showmanship he paid he's a bitch too he paid one million dollars for a 14 karat gold ring that said fuck you in diamonds oh my god that's awesome my birthday's in november if anybody wants to get that for me and buying a couple of elton cds and getting so into him which i did paved the way for LGBTQ music and culture to find its way into my life. And I've always had a kinship with my gays. Growing up, everyone thought that I was gay when I was a kid. I got beat up for it. I got called derogatory names by people who assumed that I was gay. What's really wild is my family, and God bless them, like I'm not, I'm not trying to be shitty. My family I remember would have conversations with me about saying, if you're gay, we completely understand. You can feel comfortable about telling us. It is okay, that doesn't make you any different. I wasn't gay at all. My family was trying to get me to come out and I would have to in myself to my family. So I understand at least part of the struggle that LGBTQ people face just because people thought I was gay. That might sound bizarre, but I get it. I can't imagine what it's like for people who 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 are gay, who have that lifestyle and have to deal with people throughout their life who are shitty to them, who judge them for it, who treat them differently for it. I, I kind of got a taste of that, and it made me empathize so much. So I understand maybe better than your average straight guy, and I always have and will always continue to say this to all my gays. Gays, I am with you. I love you, all of you. Plus, a little random tidbit about yours truly here. I have never had to pay for a drink at a gay bar, which I love going to gay bars. All the boys who are over at the gay bars, they always take care of me, and then they get equal parts sad, surprised, and bitchy to find out that I'm straight. Mostly straight. Again, Chris Evans. Hi. Hi. How you doing? So Elton brought that flamboyance and that 
kind of androgyny for me that I never really dove into. I got back into musicals and I did a deeper dive there. Right around the same time, Rent had just been turned into a movie with all the original cast plus Rosario Dawson, which I will never get mad when Rosario Dawson is in anything. Rent is very close to my heart. I know and love every song. There are so many people in my life who've come in and out of my life that know Rent and that are as moved by Rent as I am and that makes me think of all of them. I got into Cabaret, Sweet Charity, and Chicago. All three were super glitzy and I loved that. One of the most important musicals that I have ever seen is Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I had a gay friend show me that movie and I was a puddle of tears by the end of it. I learned about how I researched it because of course I did. I learned about how there were all these like drag clubs in New York where the performers would sing punk rock songs with a full on four on the floor band behind them. That's fucking incredible. How did I never hear about that before this? That sucks. And one of the performers there who was named John Cameron Mitchell ended up working with a fellow named Stephen Trask, who was a band leader at one of these clubs. And they made this incredibly moving musical with all these rock and punk based songs that are full of heart. I cannot recommend it enough. If you want to watch something that is going to move you to a different place, it definitely changed my life. It changed the way that I looked at love and the songs are super catchy. Love them. I remember watching it for like the billionth time. And after they mentioned David Bowie, which they do in the movie a couple of times, I kind of realized, you know what? I've never really gotten into David Bowie. My mistake. I can hear your disappointment radiating through time and the speakers, and I accept it. I started with Ziggy Stardust, and I just worked my way forward. Dude is a fucking genius, man. His final album, Black Star, which came out a couple of years back, he wrote and recorded it when he was dying of cancer. That album is something else, man. You can hear him coming to terms with his mortality in each of those songs. Now, you can't do Bowie without a side of Iggy Pop. So I threw a little Iggy Pop in there as well. I listened to some Stooges, some New York Dolls, Mark Bolin and T-Rex. I went all in on the glam. I took another deep dive into Queen, which I knew them, but I just went back to them because I love Queen. They're still one of my favorite bands. I discovered a band called the Scissor Sisters, who were a rock band that came up in the gay clubs in New York. Almost all the members of that band, I think they're broken up now, but all the members of that band were gay. And they just came up in the clubs, but they were playing rock music. I love Scissor Sisters. They sound like an updated Elton John. Elton John actually discovered and signed them, which I thought was awesome. Whenever I've heard over the years anyone in rock music or who likes rock music say or do something homophobic, it blows my freaking mind. Rock music, it's dramatic, it's flamboyant, it's largely shirtless. 
it's about sex. Rock music, on the whole, is kind of gay, if you think about it. Let me give you an example. If I told you right now that David Lee Roth from Van Halen was gay, for sure, if I told you, like, I know this 100% sure and somehow confirmed it or whatever, he's not. But what if that was the case? Go back and watch any one of David Lee Roth's videos from the 80s and tell me that I am wrong. The LGBTQ rabbit hole also led me to the icons. And you know who I'm talking about when I say the icons, right? Madonna, Cher, Tina, Aretha. Those four in particular are everything to me. Mrs. What's-Her-Name when we first got together and probably even now most certainly has been concerned when I listen to any of those four women because of how much I love them. I will unapologetically belt out Material Girl or Think or If I Could Turn Back Time or the superior version of Proud Mary, you know, the one that's nice and rough because we never do anything nice and easy. No shame, you guys. I have zero shame. This is a judgment-free zone, but I don't mind a light roast every now and again. You can do give me a light roast anytime you want, but all of that shit puts me in the greatest mood, and you can catch me singing and dancing to any of those ladies while I clean the house, and it is the gayest soundtrack ever, and I will kick your freaking ass about it. Meanwhile, something that all of this different kind of music made me realize at the time is that I was getting tired of rock music. Don't tell my friends. It got boring. I think one of the big reasons that happened is because I had all of these CDs around me in the store. I had the carte blanche to open any one of them for any reason, and I found myself just mainly pulling from one category. Plus, right around that time, rock music kind of started getting stale. It was that whole... Switchfoot, Lifehouse, Flyleaf, Thrice, P.O.D. thing that was happening, and I was not a fan. And don't get me wrong, there's some really awesome Christian rock out there. Jesus Freak by DC Talk is amazing. Soul on Fire by Third Day is incredible. But what I didn't like was that they were trying to Trojan horse blatant Christianity into mainstream rock music. How did that fucking slide through? I'm over here listening to Sabbath and Dio and merciful fate singing high-pitched shit about fucking Satan for five minutes. You can miss me with that creed, can you take me higher bullshit. So what I would do to expand my palate a little bit and get less bored was I would make little bets with myself. Can I go three months listening to music without hearing one guitar solo? Or six weeks of just instrumentals? Or a playlist of orchestral movie soundtracks, but foreign orchestra movie soundtracks. That challenge is when I fell in love with Ennio Morricone, who did all of Sergio Leone's movies back in the 60s, all those spaghetti westerns that he did. He made those movies classics. The Ecstasy of Gold from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly might be my favorite instrumental song of all time. I moved my way through each small category 
in the store for the CDs. I had a couple of weeks of songs that were sung only in foreign languages. I was listening to Mana and Vincente Fernandez and Los Lobos and Edith Piaf, but one genre that I could never find any passion for, to my grandfather's chagrin, was country music. He played it all the time when I was a kid, and it sounded whiny, slow, and uninteresting. My grandmother loved Garth Brooks, so I knew a lot of that stuff, but Garth was way too new for my grandfather. I think he called Garth a sissy boy at one point. That's how hardcore old school my grandfather was. George Strait was too new for him. It was never one of mine. Country was just never never something that I cared about until, and I don't remember the occasion, but somehow, somewhere, some way, I heard the four most beautiful words in country music. Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. Oh, shit. This was not that stereotypical, my woman done left me and I didn't get to go to the hootenanny country ass shit. This was, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. This was on Sunday morning sidewalks wishing I was stoned because there's something in a Sunday that makes my body feel alone. This was because you're mine, I walk the line. You guys, they called him the fucking man in black. He wears it for the sick and lonely old, for the reckless ones whose bad trip left them cold. Now we're talking. And I realized the idea of country music. It's the closest thing that white people can get to the blues. And I've always loved the blues. I realized pretty quick that newer country just wasn't really for me. But I did go full tilt into the old stuff. Johnny and June, Hank, his son Bocephus, Waylon, the Hag, Patsy Cline, Ferlin Husky, Tennessee Ernie Ford, the Redheaded Stranger, Marty Robbins, Kitty Wells, David Allen Coe, Loretta Lynn, Chris Christopherson, Conway Twitty, Tammy Wynette, Buck Owens, and another one of my favorites, George No Show Jones. I read that they called him no-show because early in his career, he missed half the shows he was booked because he was, in his words, quote, getting drunk and chasing tail, end quote. That's pretty rock and roll. Getting into all that eventually did open me up to newer country music. There are some gems out there, but when it comes to the newer stuff, even even still, I'm, I'm super choosy. All right, so we went... A little bit country we went a little bit rock and roll we got in touch with our feminine side and then got a little bit gay we talked about the rhythm the boogie and the beat one thing that i'm not really a fan of while i'm thinking about it is jam bands i've never been a jam band guy i totally get it i know a lot of grateful dead stuff i've actually had Ico Ico stuck in my head for a freaking month now i want to remove it with a bullet I've watched a few Fish shows online. I like Dave Matthews' band just fine. I even saw them live on Halloween one year. It was fucking great. They're in all those bands. They are full of incredible musicians who are so honed in to each other and to the music, and I respect their talent and what they do. 
but a 17-minute live version of a song that's three minutes in the studio just doesn't seem like a lot of bang for my buck. It is still hot take summer, and I'll be celebrating for another few weeks. Oh, man, you guys, I am so sorry for the way that I am, for who I am. I am sorry for being this person, but there is just so much more music stuff. And I got caught up talking about SVU daddies. So take this as a promise or a threat. I'm going to have to extend this whole music thing for one final week next week. And I am going to 100% conclude with the next episode. I can't believe I'm going to have a four-part opus in my first 10 episodes. I feel like the podcast version of Rush right now. Before I get out of here, I want to get to a few answers from last week's Gold Star question. What are five of your favorite bands and artists and a song by each of them you don't like? I got a few notables in here that I want to pass along. I am going to jump around from a few different lists because I, I'm gonna, I'm giving you the ones that I find the most interesting, uh, some of the ones that I agree with, some of the ones that I vehemently disagree with. The first one is Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin. I get it. Led Zeppelin in general is overplayed. They are overplayed on rock radio. They also stole a lot of their songs. Truth hurts, Lizzo. They stole a lot of their stuff. And Stairway to Heaven is I think it's the most played song on rock radio of all time. I understand not liking that song. It's just overdone. I got So What by Pink. I like So What by Pink, but you know, you don't like what you don't like. Another one I got that I thought was great is Daughters by John Mayer. I have to be really careful here because the wonderful, handsome, sexy gentleman who did my awesome freaking podcast logo, thank you so much, Gmo, is a big John Mayer fan, so I just want to tread lightly here. I, John Mayer is very hit or very miss with me. His first full album, Room for Squares, is great. After that, he just has a couple of hits on each one. Continuum's pretty good, but Daughters, I'm just, I'm not a big fan. I do, I also hate Your Body as a Wonderland. I think that song is just, it's it's like nails on a chalkboard to me, man. I do not like it. I like John Mayer, and he's actually a killer guitarist. He's touring with whatever is left of the Grateful Dead, and he's doing a great job with them. He is a killer guitar player, but his stuff, and even he admits that his stuff can get a little on the sappy side. The next one is Little Freak by Harry Styles. I love Harry Styles. I like Little Freak just fine, but I I just, I absolutely love Harry Styles. I think I'm gonna get to that a little more in the next episode. One of the last ones is Don't Stop Believin' by Journey. And I could not agree with that one more. I'm a fan of Journey. I wasn't always a fan of Journey, but I am now. But Don't Stop Believin' was and is ruined by drunk white women who insist on singing that fucking song at every karaoke I have ever been to. And it's like they're the first fucking ones to think of it. It's like no one has ever thought like to, to do that fucking song. And it's gotten to the point now where people, the bar, they just don't even sing along. If you can't get a bar full of fucking drunk people to sing along to a song that they know every word to, you are doing something wrong. And in this case, you're picking the wrong fucking song. I never want to hear that song again. 
Could not agree with that one more. And then the last one is just can't get enough by Depeche Mode. I don't know Depeche Mode that well. I know I'm okay. I listen to this song and oh God, there is just no excuse for that. That song is atrocious. I would rather just enjoy the silence. Again, little joke there for you music nerds. Make it a little extra bread here at the end of the episode. I want to give you a couple of mine. A couple songs that I don't like by bands that I love. And my list is a little bit longer because it's my fucking show. So I'm going to start with Bicycle by Queen. I fucking hate that song. Bicycle, is, it's just, it's the worst song. It's one of those ones that gets stuck in your head in the worst way. The next one is, and you're going to think that there's a theme here, but there's not. I'm not trying to be clever or anything. But the next one is Bike by Pink Floyd. Sid Barrett, who is the original frontman for Pink Floyd, took so much acid. I don't think he talked to any horses, but he took so much acid that he couldn't handle being in a psychedelic band singing songs about drugs anymore. Bike was a song that was written and sung and performed by Sid Barrett. It sounds nothing like all the other Pink Floyd stuff. I hate it. It's so bad. Next one on my list is Thunderstruck by ACDC. I've talked about ACDC, how much I love them. I think I'm just tired of Thunderstruck, but also Mrs. What's-Her-Name doesn't like it. And, or she says she doesn't like it. I'm not really sure. But I do troll her with playing Thunderstruck at all times whenever I can. When the day that I asked her to marry me, I did this whole thing. Maybe I'll go over it sometime. But I did this whole, like, dog and pony show for her. But I had her wake up to Thunderstruck being played on the speaker in our bedroom at top volume. And I was very proud of myself for that particular moment. The next one after that is My Way by Frank Sinatra. And I kind of feel like an asshole after last week when a good friend of mine who knows his music really well, that was one of the last songs he wants to hear. It's just, it's not one of mine. And that's totally fine. I'm going to leave it right there. We talked about Madonna. Love Madonna. Don't like Holiday. It's a good song. There's no shade. It's a good song. I just don't like it. After that is I Don't Want to Miss a Thing by Aerosmith. It was their first number one song. It was from Armageddon, which is a Michael Bay movie that is bad, but I still like it, and I'm not going to apologize for that. Diane Warren, who is the master ballad songwriter, wrote that song. I It was the song that me and my first girlfriend had together. I think I'm just tired of it. I think it's just too sappy, and I'm just, I don't, I just don't really like it anymore. After that, I've got Start Me Up by the Rolling Stones. I love the Stones. Again, Start Me Up is a good song. I sing it when it comes on, but it's just really not one of my favorites. I do not like Feeling This by Blink-182. I love Blink. I've seen them in concert 13 times. Don't judge me. I've seen them in concert 13 times, but I don't know. Feeling This, when that came out, it just, it did not, did not part my hair. I love the Ramones. But I don't like the covers that the Ramones do, like Needles and Pins and California Sun and stuff like that. I'm just, I don't really like those at all. Moving on to Metallica, which I have to because I know I talked about Metallica at length. Saying that anything off of Saint Anger 
is my least favorite is kind of low-hanging fruit. So I don't want to mention Sate Anger. The I've got two for Metallica. One is Fuel. I don't really like Fuel. I've never liked Fuel. It's a great song. It's really good when you hear it live, but I'm just not a fan. And if we want to go really old, if you want me to really go from like their 80s thrash days when everyone likes every single song and they'll whoop your ass if you don't, Fight Fire with Fire. First song off of Ride the Lightning, which is a incredible album, but Fight Fire with Fire, not one of mine. It's too fast. It's too speedy. I, it just, it, I feel like they were just trying to play fast as opposed to trying to play good. For the Beastie Boys, I, I don't like Brass Monkey. They are talented, talented dudes. I, I don't know how Brass Monkey made it, made it through any of that. I'm just, I'm not a fan of that at all. And then the last one, which I've told a lot of people, I get a lot of crap for it, is Crocodile Rock by Elton John. That song makes my ears bleed. And I am not alone. Elton John said in an interview just this last year when somebody asked him, what are you going to miss after this last tour that you're doing right now? What are you going to miss the least? And he said, playing Crocodile Rock. Even Elton doesn't like Crocodile Rock. He said, I love that the audience likes it, but he says it is his least favorite song to play. So I'm not alone there, damn it. Before I get out of here, I want to do the song of the week. And this song, it's a brand new song that just came out that is fucking hot. It is uh, God Did by DJ Khaled. And I'm not usually a Khaled fan, but Jay-Z did a verse, a long verse, and it is fire. Jay-Z is my all-time favorite rapper. I love him. When Jay wants to do it, he's got the Midas touch. But right now, he's too busy getting handfuls of Beyonce leg meat. Can you blame him? However, this verse is great. Go check it out. He reminds everyone why he is right at the top. One of my like favorite little lines, he says, nobody touched a Billy till Hove did. How many billionaires come from Hove's crib? I count three, me, yay, and re. Bronze a rock boy, so four, technically. Judge it how you judge it. Say we go in corporate. Nah, we're just corner boys with the corner office. Fuck yeah. Don't forget to check out all of the songs of the week on the playlist on Spotify. It is called Atomic Skull Songs of the Week. I'm going to find a way to add that to my Instagram profile. I'm working on it all. We're going we're gonna to figure that out. Speaking of on Instagram, I have... Thank you guys. Thank you everybody so much. I have officially reached 100 followers and that is incredible. That is a huge thing for me. It's a big milestone. I'm super proud of it. I am very, very grateful. Please follow. If you're listening and you haven't followed me on Instagram, please follow me. I think I overdid it a little thanking someone (laughs) for following me today and inadvertently pissed them off. So I think I'm going to lose one, but anything worth doing is worth overdoing. One of the things that I am going to do now that I have hit 100 followers, God help me, is I am going to start doing reels. I don't know how to do reels. I don't know where I'm going to find the time or the youthfulness, but I am going to start doing them. So you can look forward to that. And I hope that they're good. I hope that they're funny. Otherwise, it's just going to be me being awkwardly old at you, which I guess would be inadvertently funny. So we'll see how it goes. Thank you so much, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening and for the support. I am forever 
grateful that you are on this journey with me. I cannot and will not ever be able to show the kind of gratitude that I want to show for the support. Thank you truly. Please follow if you haven't. Subscribe if you haven't. Uh, Rate me five stars if you haven't. Tell some friends if you haven't. Word of mouth is the way that we're going to be able to do this because I'm broke, man. I am broke and I cannot afford advertising. So tell friends, tell them that there's tits and dragons. How would you not want to get a piece of that if you hear something like that? Instagram at Atomic Skull Podcast. If you want to reach out to me via email, Atomic Skull Podcast at gmail.com. If there's something that I am missing, if there's something that I am doing too much of, don't say music, or too little of, what's working, what isn't working, who your favorite SVU daddy is, or you just want to fucking say hello, tell me about your music story, shit, whatever it is, email me, slide into my DMs on Instagram. I'm here for you. I want to talk to you. I am feeling outgoing these days. Reach out, follow me. Thank you guys so much for the support. I will see you guys next week. I am going to go take some ibuprofen. How are you doing?